Hello and welcome to the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dan. I'm joined by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Equally my best friend. Looking forward to this. And we're here to talk about everything Arsenal, uh, particularly, obviously, what was a fantastic weekend. I, I, I am... I actually, and it may come across as we do this podcast, I have had no voice since Saturday um, due to the celebrations. What a weekend. I, I was nervous when you texted me yesterday to say that you still didn't have a voice, but obviously that's not a problem. You sound great. Touch and go this morning. Touch and go this morning. I, I, I've hammered the lem sip and the tea and honey and uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. I didn't want to miss this for the world. Fantastic. Uh, before we get started, obviously, we will talk about the cup final in a bit more de- detail um, a little bit later on. But there's just one thing I wanted to get off my chest um, since the weekend, and it's really, really been bugging me. So I'm just going to do that quickly. And that is Obama Yang! <laughs> Obama Yang! Obama Yang! That'd be nice. That'd be nice for listeners' ears. Apologies for that, but I just felt I needed to get that out of my system. Okay, right, now that I've done that, (laughs) we're going to commence with our weekly commentary quiz. And what we do here is we will read each other a piece of commentary with no emotion and no context, and the other has to try and guess which goal we are describing. So, Andre, I went last week first, so if you'd like to go first this week. When you send this through, I always get quite excited, and I was... One goal came straight to my mind. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Omri, chance, goal. Leeds at home in the FA Cup on his return. Yes. Do you know what? I think it's one of the most evocative pieces of commentary. You can hear the commentator pause and you can also, as soon as you hear goal, you can picture him wheeling away. I'll I'll tell you what is also good, is there is a version of that... Uh, that someone has dubbed the radio commentary with John Motson doing it on, on oh, YouTube. It's fantastic, and isn't it? It's fantastic because the crowd noise is so much louder mm. and it's it's brilliant. But uh, yeah, the original commentary is is a sight to behold to the ears, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it is brilliant. And I was, I was privileged enough to be there that night. And that was one where my dad, uh, I was doing work experience at a, a newspaper in my final year of university. And I wasn't sure I would be able to go. My dad insisted on coming and picking me up because he said, if Omri comes on and does anything, you can't miss that. So I've got Mick Dow to thank for that. Very good. I'm very jealous. I'm very jealous. That was uh, when we got drawn against Leeds. We were at uni at the time and had to be very selective with games. And of course, you buy tickets. I was a red member then, so six weeks in advance. He hadn't joined. There was no rumours of him joining. Um... It's my biggest regret. I think of all the games I could have been at, you know, where I was in the country or what have you, uh, that one hurts. But what a goal, what a moment, what a man. Yeah, it, it was it was wonderful. And um, as, as, as I say, it was an absolute privilege to be there. And it, it's just one of those iconic moments that I'll never forget the whole time I support Arsenal, which, uh, which is lovely. Song. Already, chance, Right, okay, so now I will read you my one, which uh, this is a hard one, I think. So there's no shame if you don't get this right, but I've got faith in you. Oh, good. The the only clue I'm going to give you is that this piece of commentary came after the goal was scored. Okay. So the the quote is, sweet as a nut, as they say in the London area. Oh, do you know what you've done this before? I'm going to request a clue. Okay, the clue is uh, it is from the 03-04 unbeaten season. Reyes? Was it Reyes? No. I can give you another clue. I'd like another clue. Uh, it was It was also against Leeds United. Omri? Yeah. Curler? No, it was Omri. We were wearing a yellow kit. We won 4-0, four, 4-1. Four four one. Four one. We were behind from a Mark Viduka goal, which uh, Jens Lehmann made a calamity of and then we equalised Lumbo crossed the ball into Omri and it was a first time volley side footed into into goal and he just celebrated in his nonchalant way by not celebrating I can picture it I love that we've both gone straight for Omri oh, it's just so easy like every goal 
that is an iconic piece of commentary. Now, obviously, that that was a very, very specific one and a very, very uh, unique one. Um, so I was kind of quite confident you wouldn't get that because I feel like uh, that that was very, very difficult, particularly as it's not even commentary leading up to the goal. Mm. So okay. no shame in that at all. Okay. Well, there you go. You're 2-1 up. Fantastic. And here's Jungberg. And it's 1-1. Right, what we will do now, obviously the, the only talking point to start with is Saturday. Uh, now Saturday was obviously a very, very different occasion for supporters, particularly those of us who are season ticket holders and who would have been lucky enough to actually go to the, go to the game had it been allowed. Unfortunately, we weren't allowed to go to the game, so we all had to make do with our own situation. So firstly, Andre, where, where did you watch the game and what was it like? Well, my friend Mark Pond and I had decided that when we watched the semi-final with our respective other halves, um, it didn't quite, you know, it's fair to say they didn't uh, have the enthusiasm towards Aubameyang's brace that, that we did. Uh, I think we decided then to go into just around the ground to watch it. Um, we went up early doors because we knew it would be very hard to get in anywhere. We sort of planned to get up there for two o'clock and we had a sort of 4pm cutoff. If we couldn't get anywhere, we'd head back. Uh, luckily, uh, he bumped into someone he knew and we ended up at a table at the Horatio Pub on Holloway Road um, between Highbury and Islington and the ground. So that's where that's where I watched it. That's where I watched it. Um, what about you? Well, I... Uh... For those uh, that don't know, I, I live down in, in Kent, so I'm a little bit further away. And uh, so it's not as easy for me to get into London and then watch the, watch the game and then still have that time to potentially get back if, if worse, worse come to worse. So I actually watched it at my parents' house with my dad, my mum, my brother and his, well, my partner and his partner as well. So it was a really nice sort of family barbecue that we had, but it was all about the FA Cup final. And that is actually the first cup final of any sort that I've watched at home with my dad since 2003. Wow. So every other final, it's either we've either been at the game or he's been at the game or I've been at the game or I've been somewhere else watching that game. So it was a really, really nice moment. And obviously after to see us win as well, it was a really lovely moment to share with each other. Because it's not been too often, particularly over the last couple of seasons, that me and him have got those opportunities to really, mm. really share that, that that experience. So it was it was lovely. It was really really nice. Um, obviously, I would have, I would have rather have been been at the game, but as a alternative, I, I don't think I could have hoped for much better. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think the uh, uh, the picture you should no doubt share is the one where you've got everyone in Arsenal shirts. It's great, and no, it sounds fantastic. I have to say. I think experience-wise, we sort of we've both gone in opposite directions there, um, and I have to say, either one is made pretty perfect decision-wise with the victory. I must say, absolutely. And I, I I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit this. When Chelsea went one 0 up, uh, you text me at that exact moment when I just announced to my dad, "Well, that's it, it's done," and you text me to say it's over. <laughs> So I think that summarises our pessimism towards Arsenal Football Club this season particularly, um, that neither one of us at that point could see a route back into the game. I think we both said last week that it w we felt it would come down to the first goal. And when the first goal went in, even that early, I really, really struggled to see how we were getting back into that game. Uh, obviously, we did. And the rest is history. But I've just spent the last three, three or four days just revelling in the success of it absolutely absolutely so I think the first thing to say is that um I actually thought they started really well it's do you know what it becomes easier and easier to compliment opposition once you've won but at the time you're loath to say it but they a moment before they scored they've they've pickpocketed Xhaka which whilst has been a trend of his career at Arsenal he really has ironed that out of his game. I think Arteta's really helped him for that. He may still be culpable from the odd wayward pass, but the way they pickpocketed him, got in between the lines straight away, um, was alarming. Because I really think one of the hallmarks of how we're set up 
with this back three, with the midfielders there, is it's really hard to get in behind us and in between the lines. They did it with Xhaka, and then two seconds later, well, not two seconds, not literally two seconds, but a moment later, they've got Pulisic in between the lines. And I think you can't really criticise much from an Arsenal perspective after what happens there. Um, you know, Tierney, he's got a choice to make. He could give away a penalty. You risk a red card. Um, I thought the way, you know, he bounced that pass off Giroud was excellent and he's taken that goal really well. Um, and I have to say, when that went in, I know I texted you saying game over. I, when I thought we'd win 2-1, um, which we're going to get on to how I absolutely predicted that and you called me two hours beforehand, and that's exactly what I said would happen. I really didn't think it would involve a comeback because we have been poor at those. Um, but that was sort of my opening impression. I actually felt they deserved to be ahead, and it, it sort of felt inevitable. Yeah, I mean, my my opening impression is very similar. I thought, like, straight off the bat, we, we managed to get that ball over the top to, to Maitland-Niles down the left. And obviously, he put that cross in that Aubameyang headed wide. And I thought straight away you could see what the Arsenal game plan was. You could see that we were targeting that side. We were targeting that with the pace of Maitland-Niles, with the pace of Aubameyang. And from that chance, I thought, OK, this looks OK. And then beyond, after that, for, in the opening 10, 15 minutes, we just completely collapsed and stopped playing. And as you say, I think Chelsea were probably full value for their lead. Uh but what I was going to say is bear in mind uh, that in recent weeks, when we've fallen behind or when we've played teams of lower opposition that have done essentially like a deep block, we've really, really struggled. So I was kind of surprised that Chelsea didn't maybe try and play that way a little bit because we, we have clearly struggled against teams that do that. But then I guess that's probably because they don't have faith in their defensive capabilities, which I think they showed throughout the game that, that, that they're as weak as we are at the back. Well, this is where I think you start to see. I think out of all the ex-pros, Arteta is by far the best manager. He is able to organise a defence in a way that even this sort of motley crew of defenders we have are able. He is able to coordinate them in in a way that makes us really effective defensively. I think it's where you start to see where the gaps are in someone like Lampard. I think he's done a pretty good job. Um, but I think you can see the fact he didn't adapt to that. For me, I just sat back, hit us on the counter. I know it's easy to say, but, you know, the fact they kept pressing, I mean, maybe they were looking to push up, you know, if they go 2-0 up, it, it really is game over. But they left space in behind. And, and when you watch... Uh, they did a great clip of this, but Abamyang is running Aspilicueta all over the place for fun. It's no wonder he got injured. Um, we completely exposed them. We found a weakness. We exploited it. Not only did was our game plan absolutely spot on. Um, you know, we played to our strengths. We need Abamyang on the ball in the final third. That's our only real hope. Um, before we get onto the goal. Um, and, and sort of our equaliser and the response post drink break, uh, drinks break. Uh, I got a text. We had a corner. Um, we had a corner, and Pepe overhit it. And I got a text from a friend saying, uh, "How much did you pay for Pepe?" And I, I was, <laughs> I sort of <laughs> smiled uh, and went, "I never text that early into a game anyway about anyone causing judgment." But I, I thought, for me, Pepe. He stood out for me in this game. I thought the way he, he really did. He he came to life. Look, he's un, he's got an unfortunate price tag, and I know we're going to come on to talking about sort of the front three later on. But I have to say, I did think this was when when you when you have a final, you want a character who steps up, and Pepe really stepped up. I thought he was our best player on the day. I I did as well. I thought him and uh, Danny Sabias were were excellent. Mm. Um, but Pepe, that's the best game he's had in an Arsenal shirt. Obviously, he's had moments where he's he's produced uh, brilliant goals or, or brilliant assists, but to do consistently across ninety minutes as good as he did on 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 Saturday, he's he's not done that. So that was that was brilliant. Um, hands down, his best performance in an Arsenal shirt. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely, and I think sort of a coming of age. And when you look at the goal that's disallowed, my word. 
What a finish. No one knows the goal's disallowed at that point. No one knows. I am absolutely gutted for him <laughs> that, that didn't that, that didn't count. Um, and the way we constructed that move is just fantastic um, and, and, and bodes very, very well for the future. But again, I, I do think Chelsea really allowed us to play into our strengths. Um, having said that, you know, I did feel as though when we got our second goal, uh, it was a little bit against the run of play. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think although Chelsea hadn't really created anything, they had a lot of possession. We were penned into our own half and it was only because of the, that incredible run by Hector Bellerin that we were able to break out of that half. Mm. Um, and then once he did that, obviously we got a little bit lucky with the tackle that the, the ball went flying over to Pepe and then obviously they, they were outnumbered. But that started, as we can talk about the brilliance of Aubameyang uh, shortly, but that started because of the, de- the determination and desire of Hector Bellerin to to get Arsenal forward. And that was something that we were crying out for at that stage because we were really, really penned back. I did find it surprising how, how what a lack of um, attack and any sort of guile or creativity that Chelsea offered uh, for the majority of the game. I think as soon as Pulisic went off, that, that kind of put us in the driving seat. Because he was the only one that I I saw causing us that many problems, and as soon as he went off, and I, I think there's probably a case to be made there. Had he not pulled his hamstring, there's probably a case to be made that he might have scored there as well. Um, but the second he was off, I think it's it's a totally different game, right? And I, I think Arteta probably would have seen that and thought, right, we've we've got a real chance here now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's one of those days. Everything went our way, and you know what? We bloody deserved it. That's the thing. We have suffered this season. We have, uh, we're the worst. We are not a dirty team this year. We're not even that cynical. We're bottom of the fair play chart. We've conceded more penalties, I think, than anyone else or certainly level. We've got a centre-half who's conceded five penalties. We've had countless red cards that are dubious. And actually, everything went our way. It just felt like it was written in the stars, really. And I think even those sort of small wins like Pulisic pulling his hamstring and he's their best player and he he alarms me for years to come to be perfectly honest because he looks like he's going to go on to be something special if he's only 22 you, now you can see him uh scoring goals similar to do you remember that goal hazard scored against Arsenal where Cockland yes. did that almost somersault yes um, I I can I, you can just see that happening in the future uh really really fantastic player but I just thought Overall, we we responded really well, particularly after the drinks break. We really, really responded well. Obviously, Arteta got into them, and once that, once we sort of got a foothold in the game, I, th- I think Arteta said that up until half time, that's the best best half an hour of football we've probably played under Arteta because we were so dominant. We Chelsea, we didn't allow them out of their own area, let alone their their half. And we were just pressing and pressing and pressing. And I thought we were really unfortunate not to go in to half-time leading. Hmm. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think, you know, if we just go back to the, the goal we've scored uh, and the way Aubameyang's burst through, I mean, not only um, did I think it was a penalty, I was adamant it was a red card um, for Aspilicueta. I'm not going to complain now because... I, I, I might. Um. <laughs> because I've I've been quite vocal about this one on on Twitter, and I think the fact that they had obviously in the second half Kovacic, it, it shouldn't have been a second yellow card and then and therefore a red. Um, but the Aspilicueta one, I I don't understand how that's not a red card because. Okay, I know we've got the double jeopardy rule now. Well, as far as I'm concerned, if you're pulling someone's shoulder, that's not a legitimate attempt to play the ball. So therefore, from my understanding of the rules, the double jeopardy rule goes out the window. And then there's the aspect of, uh, not Kurt Zuma, uh, Rudiger covering, which the only reason he's anywhere near is because Azpilicueta has been trying to foul Aubameyang for the last like 10 yards. So that's the only reason that Rudiger's got anywhere near. And even when he the the the, the foul's finally been made, I still don't think he's on the he's covering because Aubameyang if if Aspilicueta doesn't do that has a free shot on his left foot a goal. Well, if that's not a goal scoring opportunity, I, I don't know what is and I don't understand how you can possibly say that Rudiger is covering. 
obviously it doesn't matter now. We we went on and won the game, but at the time I was absolutely furious. Yes, I, I was apoplectic. I, I I couldn't I couldn't actually comprehend that he hadn't been sent off. Like I said, I've calmed down now. <laughs> uh, four, it's four days since we won. <laughs> uh, I've been celebrating non-stop. But I have to say, it, it should have been a red card. I mean, there's no question. And like I said, I've you know watched countless games this season. If I look at at least two of David Luiz's red cards, uh, they are like that. And I, I don't understand the difference. It should have been a red. But as I said, the fact it was a penalty, fantastic. I mean, I would have preferred that because some people were saying free kick and a red card. I'm not sure that's actually the rule. Uh, I think it is denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. I don't think it mattered whether it was in the box or out the box. I'm delighted he's won the penalty. Um, I have no uh, sympathy towards Aspilicueta whatsoever. I don't like him. I don't like any Chelsea players, that's that's for sure. Um, and then I was very concerned that Big Willie in goal has a fantastic record from saving penalties. All I could picture was a Bamiyang v Spurs. Ever since then, though, like, I remember after the Spurs game, I think it was, I think it was against Man United that he scored a, a very similar penalty. But ever since then, he seems to have, particularly if you think about the Watford game, you think about this game, he seems to have changed his style. So rather than do that, wait for them to go and then just roll it the other side, he seems to be now just going, you know what, I'm just going to whack it in the corner and make sure they can't save it even if they go that way. Well, I actually think that changed after the Norwich game where he's missed it. And Crawl saves it, retake, and I think he changed his style then and doesn't look back. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I'd forgotten about that, to be fair. But I, I, love, I love the penalties that he's taking now because it's just no nonsense. Mm. And that's what you want to see. And I, I know that previously, I, I think we're very fortunate. We've got three very good penalty takers in our, in our front three. So Lacazette, Pepe and Aubameyang are all very, very competent at penalty, particularly Pepe. But I like the fact that for a cup final, our captain, our main goal scorer, got up, no no hesitation about taking it and takes it. That's what you want to see from your from your leader. Absolutely. And it was it was unerring. It's the best penalty I think he's ever taken for us. But again, I, I we deserved it. We deserved it. And he deserved that moment. I think continuing on from uh, what you said about us deserving it and deserving that little bit a little bit of luck. For us as fans, particularly fans like you and I who who go home and away, we've seen some absolutely dour performances this season. We've we've seen some awful results. We've seen some awful awful um, effort from our players, and some of the atmospheres within the within the games have been really really hostile uh, and not really pleasant to be at. So this feels like, as much as you don't want to say, well, we're entitled to that, you do feel like the the misery we've been put through this year, it, we deserve to have at least a little bit of glory and a little bit of happiness. Uh, in terms of someone being miserable, uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Match of the Day, but Ashley Cole looked so, so unhappy that Arsenal had won. And it really, really made me delighted that Ian Wright was screaming in his face. <laughs> I mean, we talked about writing last week. Yeah, it was fantastic. And even... Um... <laughs> Hearing that he coached Rob Holding through the first half was one of my favourite things I've heard in a long time. In an empty Wembley, having him represent us was just perfect. I think if you if we could pick one person to represent the fans, I think you'd go Ian Wright. And again, this just speaks about his, I suppose, his lack of professionalism, that he doesn't <laughs> care that he's working for, for the BBC. He's just like, no, Arsenal playing, I'm going to act as a fan. Absolutely. Do you see the, um, the custom suit he had on as well? Fantastic. With the uh, the new shirt texture on the in, inner lining, <laughs> no, yeah, the the uh, inner lining of his suit was um, the new shirt texture and pattern. <laughs> that is amazing. The man's amazing. The man's amazing. No, I have to say, I missed out on the nuances. That's one of those. Uh, just going back to the, sort of the the starting point of this. That's one of the nuances of watching in a pub. You do miss out on the commentary. You do miss out on those things sort of what you generate in atmosphere, because there was a pretty good atmosphere where I was. Um, interesting, actually, uh, meant to say this, as part of the sort of social distancing measures, when we've won the penalty, right, one of the rules of the pub was you can't stand up. Right, just think about that for a second. FA Cup final, can't stand up. Now, I prefer watching games stood up anyway, um, just sort of force of habit, right? 
I mean, I was in my lounge and I was stood up. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. But can you imagine? I'm stood at the telly, pointing at Aspilicueta, holding my imaginary red card, uh, waving it, as you've seen me do hundreds of times at this point. Uh, and this, this, uh, the security guys come in and be like, sit down. <laughs> and he was not met with the response I think he was expecting. We've been highly respectful of the rules until that point. Um, we stayed, stood up, needless to say. Uh, and then, of course, when it was dispatched, there was there was some pretty good celebrations. But yeah, it was it was bizarre because you did feel every time we stood up for a prolonged period, they literally gave you 30 seconds and then you were told to sit back down, and they were they were really ruthless with it. Fair, fair play. Like, well, no, uh, rightfully so. It, That's what I'm saying. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those really difficult things because they're they're in such an awful situation, particularly during football matches, where they have to enforce this stuff that's quite frankly not enforceable. Mm. Because, as you say, when goals go in, the emotions take over. You don't really think about what you're doing, do you? So, so it's a horrible position to be in. Yes, yeah, but that, I have to say. Uh, really interesting just in terms of watching it in a pub I have to I won't do it again I think you know big game it's different I really wanted to taste the atmosphere especially missing out on, on Wembley I just wanted to be around Arsenal people the pub probably you'd probably get two three hundred people on a good match day uh on, on a sorry on a your average match day I reckon there was probably tops 40 people all on tables all separated no more than six people on a table so it was quite incredible to experience it like that. And even at the end of the game, there was, there was you know, there was no hugging. There was no sort of celebrating with people, um, which was, you know, again, such a strange way to experience something so momentous. And it, it got me thinking, I mean, I have to say, one of the chants that came out was around Frank Lampard, the stop crying one, which you can imagine I lapped up. It was majestic. Uh, and everyone was vociferous. Admittedly, you know, I, I, I'm a lover of a great chant. The lyrics on this were were poor. Something along the lines of, uh, we lost at home, we drew away. Stop crying, Frank Lampard. Um, hardly our masterclass in, in wording of a song, but the point was rammed home nevertheless. Be, be honest, Andre, you, you started this song, didn't you? I can confirm I did not start the song. I did, however, sing and try and start the follow, follow, follow. Arsenal is the team we follow. And with Mikel Arteta, no one is better. He's the best looking Spaniard I know. I think you've tried to start that at every away game since he's been in charge. So I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the one thing I did quite like about it, and uh, before we sort of get to the point of moving on, is that I kind of like the fact that everyone was equal. Like, all Arsenal fans were in the same boat. There was no hierarchy about, oh, I'm at the game, you're not at the game. It was just, everyone's watching the game on TV. And I quite liked that. Obviously, I would rather be there, but there was no sort of gloating that I was there, you weren't sort of thing. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. It's really good. I, I found social media great as well. I normally, I love lapping it up post-match post, post uh, match when we win anyway, but actually it was just, it was completely all joyous. And I think that's my overriding emotion, just the pure joy uh, of it all. Yeah, and I think I think that's probably quite a nice point to sort of draw a line under that section. Obviously, before we do that, we need to just talk uh, very, very briefly about uh, Aubameyang's winner, hmm. um, which was just majestic. And it's a goal that I don't really recall him scoring many similar to that. The closest I've got, his first goal was a left-footed chip against Everton in a uh, in the five-one. Where Ramsey scored. miles offside, <laughs> miles and miles offside, offside. Um, where Ramsey scored that the hat trick. Um, yeah. but no, I haven't really. He beats a man for pace when he goes down the wing. I thought that was his coming. Bizarre to say, it's about a thirty-one-year-old who is clearly a world-class striker and sort of by far our best player and just so important. Pay him what he wants. The way he's beaten Zuma, and again as part of all of this, the content after the game has just been amazing. That. Jorginho clip of Azu is my favourite thing I think I've ever seen to accompany a goal. Do you know what do you know what I'm on about? Have you heard that? Yeah. Right. And the way he's done it, but that left-footed chip, do you know, sometimes goals are better on TV than in the ground. That was one of them. And the fact we all experienced it in that way, because it's the left-footed chip, it's in from the minute it's over Caballero. And you just know, you just know it's gonna hit the net. And that moment was everything really. I didn't I knew we wouldn't concede from there. I just had such a good feeling. I knew if we got ahead in this game we'd see it out. 
that you just you just knew everything had been pointing towards that. We just had to get ahead in this game. I don't even think it mattered when. And for him to produce like that, special. Really, really special. Really special. And uh, even my mum was out of her chair for that one. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I actually, I get quite overcome with emotion when I think about that goal because of how bad this season has been. The three managers, the dismal away performances. Of course, we'd love to have been there. But what a way to end a season. Um, I actually wanted to ask you something on, on all of this. For a long time, as Arsenal fans, it might be something we debate at a later date. We were told, you know, finishing fourth isn't a trophy. Would you trade in coming eighth and winning an FA Cup? Now we've experienced both sides of that. Where do you think you stand? I, I, I think I'd probably stand that I, I still think the pinnacle of sport is about winning trophies. And as much as I want to see Arsenal in the Champions League every week, to me, the FA Cup finals are just irreplaceable. And I know some people turn their noses up at, at cups nowadays, but I just don't see how you can. Um, everyone wants to win the FA Cup. And I love the fact that we're so consistent at doing so. So I think I'm more in line with the um, about winning cups. I agree. And I think I don't think I thought that when we were qualifying for the Champions League, not winning anything. And actually, I would take quite a lot that happened this season to have that day and feeling of elation that we have had four times in the last seven years. It actually has been worth it. The season of pain, yes, it's more frustrating, but those moments, they're so special because it's its where we talked about, I remember saying last week about not having heroes growing up. My goodness, they've got them now on a day like that. You know, there's yeah. so many performances to write home about. And that's really what its it's all about. You'll always remember that we will always remember that day whereas we won't really remember those seasons we finished fourth you know scraped through a qualifier did well in the group stage and then got knocked out apart from diehard fans the the history books only tell you about who won things they don't tell you about all the other stuff so it's it's momentous and obviously like you say there are heroes now there's a Bamiang and you could go through the team um but it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. Right, so now obviously we've covered uh, Saturday and how fantastic that was. It's finally the end of the season, so it feels like we can actually do a proper season assessment. Now obviously it's been a, a season of of turmoil really um, that fortunately has ended in that fantastic way of winning a trophy but we've gone through this season and had three different head coaches at one time or another so obviously we started the campaign with Unai Emery in charge Uh, when he was relieved of his duties Freddie Lundberg took over as caretaker and then finally just before uh, just before Christmas Mikel Arteta was appointed as as head coach just when I was doing a bit of research for this, I wanted to look at um, sort of win percentages and how many games we've we've won in those two phases. So under Unai Emery and Freddie Lundberg, we played 26 matches. We'd won nine, drawn seven and lost 10. That gave us a win percentage of 34.62%. Under Mikel Arteta, so since he came in and his first game was Bournemouth away on Boxing Day, we won 16 matches out of 28, drawn six and lost six. And that's taken us to 57.14% as a win percentage. So the improvement, okay, we might not have got shot up in the league like we might have hoped, but the improvement is there for everyone to see. We've pretty much doubled our win percentage. And if you also factor in that some of the wins that we had under Unai Emery were in the League Cup or in the Europa League group stages, some of the opposition were questionable to say the least. So you just have to look at that and it shows you exactly how much we have improved under Mikel Arteta with essentially the same group of players. Uh, I I am astonished at these stats. Uh, Do you know what's worse, actually? Uh, You know, if you took out Freddie's results, that that is even that is even worse. I, I think you can't underestimate the influence of this man. I think we've got our best manager. You know, I'm sure at some point in all of this, it will come out how much. Uh, you know, we adore Arsene Wenger. Uh, but in the latter years, you know, he, he he lacked what Arteta brings for me. 
coaching's moved into a new era. Wenger was all about philosophically, you know, getting players to believe in themselves. Now it's about giving people a template and a structure and a platform to work in. And what Arteta has shown in such a short space of time, and it really is a short space of time because yes, he's been in charge for, you know, eight, nine months now, but he got, he, he had the virus. We had three months of lockdown and he's been able to get a tune out of this team. And this is the same players. You know, he got Pablo Marie and Cedric Suarez, who probably played a combined, what, 190 minutes between them in those 28 games. I don't think you can underestimate how good a manager we have. And the fact he's won a cup in the first 28 games of his tenure. I think we've got something really special here. I really hope he's backed. But I think... When I look at this this man and what he brings, I think we've got an absolute superstar. I think this could be a generational manager for us again. I completely agree. Uh, what what he's done in, with this group of players in such a short space of time, and obviously under the provisions of lockdown as well, I think is, is nothing short of incredible. And I think winning the FA Cup has sort of earned him the plaudits from the media that I think the I think most Arsenal fans could see what he was doing and, and the improvements that he was making. And I think most of us kind of accepted that it's going to be limited until he's able to get in some of his own players and depending on how well he is backed. Uh, I think that's the big thing now is that he needs to be backed. He needs to have the board trust him to pick some players and coach them and get them playing in the way that he that he would like. Um, so fingers crossed that does happen. But I, I can't applaud the efforts of Mikel Arteta more, any more than I than I have already because he's been absolutely incredible for for us in the situation that he took over. Uh, I love how honest he is in his interviews but it's it's an honesty that's very well thought out he knows exactly what he's saying he knows exactly why he's saying it and you you can kind of get an impression that he's trying to address certain people through the media when he does that as well I think he's the whole package he's brilliant with the media he's clearly a brilliant man manager you know that post on Instagram Aubameyang my manager well this Aubameyang's had a lot of great managers you know it Klopp as a manager for a while, he has commanded respect in that dressing room for for a, such a young manager. And if you were sceptical of a man who had never managed a game uh, <laughs> becoming our manager, you'd be absolutely correct to do so. Um, I just wanted any change at the point of Emery. I, I really liked the idea of Arteta, but who knew? But I think what we're seeing here is what a gamble this could be. As I said, I think he seems a very, very ambitious man. And I hope that we do as a club enough to help him because I actually think he could get enough of a tune out of us with only a couple of additions and get this team into the top four or there or thereabouts. You know, of course we need a lot of luck, but the fact he's won, that does so much for the club, for his image, and also for any player joining now. They can see we are a project worth investing in. You know, if you had a choice now, and I think this is different from a year year or two ago. And it hurts me to say this, but if I were a player, well, obviously not, but if I didn't care and you were presented with Arsenal or Tottenham a couple of years ago, you'd probably have chosen them. Even four or five years ago, now there's no question where you'd rather play. I, th- I think he's building something which, like you say, people uh, players will want to come to. And I think providing he's given the opportunity and the backing, I think he will get players in based on... Do you remember how when Wenger used to have a conversation with players, quite mm. often that would convince them? I think I think we're getting to a very similar point with Mikel Arteta where I think if he went and had a conversation, it, it, there's a fair chance he'd convince some very, very good players to, to come to Arsenal. Absolutely. And I think we've got a chance. You know, I think with this manager, we've got a chance of achieving something next year. I, I honestly think winning a cup changes so much because it validates his it validates his philosophy and what we're trying to do as a club you know his his uh, non-negotiables and he's saying if you follow my non-negotiables and listen to my ta- you know what I can give you tactically and how I can coach you we will be successful and he's got something now he's got a, a knocked over FA Cup to show for it <laughs> 
that was the worst take. It really was. My favourite is after he drops the bass and he puts it back on, the bass is the wrong way round. I didn't even notice that. But that adds another layer to it. Uh, but I just, I can't believe not one person said, like, went up to him and was just like, Oba, stop what you're doing. Just lift it off. You don't need the bass at the moment. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. You couldn't make it up. Look, he can do what he likes as far as I'm concerned. With, with Arteta, though, I mean, I think something we really need to look at over the summer, I do think he needs additional coaching staff. And there's been quite a lot of rumours, hasn't there, whether he's looking for a, a sort of set-piece specialist, for example. Yeah, there's been there's been rumours. Um, I, I think at the moment for for having to assemble a coaching team on very very short notice, uh, I think he did quite well. Uh, I think from what I've read, Steve Round is one of his assistants, and that's been sort of like the experience that Mikel Arteta maybe has been lacking that he's brought in. So I think he's got good people around him, and I think whenever you what what I've really enjoyed recently has been the bench cams and. I think the atmosphere among the coaching staff looks really, really fantastic. So I think he's really, really building a really solid foundation to allow himself to be successful as well. Absolutely. And I think you can, one of the things I think in all of this, I don't think we can ever underestimate the value of the relationships between a manager and the players. And when he, talking of all the sort of brilliant features from Saturday, the uh, tunnel cam follows him I think it's actually on Arsenal.com. It follows him into the changing room and he's dancing with the trophy and they are loving it. That like he's so clearly loved and that's massive. It was brilliant, that video. On, honestly, it, it almost brought a tear to my eye. I was that happy watching that. Uh, it was brilliant because as you say, all the players are on board and I just think players like, I know we, we don't really want to talk about Mesut Ozil and we don't want to talk about Matteo Guendouzi, but you look at them both and think, okay, well, whatever's gone on, they must be looking at this and kicking themselves, particularly Guendouzi. Particularly Guendouzi. You, you want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. I, want to, I wish I was Matt Smith. Right, did he not look like a, a kid who just won a competition? <laughs> but honestly, I was thinking about this. Matt Smith, right, he probably may never play. He may never play for Arsenal, but he's got an FA Cup winner's medal. It's, it's, in, it's incredible. I, th- I, I think... He 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 was living an opportunity that we all wish we could do, and I don't I, I I don't begrudge him getting involved with it at all. Obviously, he's a young young man. He's come through the Arsenal academy. He's probably just as buzzing as we are about winning the FA Cup, and he's got to see it firsthand and be part of that squad with those players. So, fair, fair play to him. But in all the pictures, it just really made me laugh because uh, he he looks so happy, but he looked like like he he, he didn't look like a player. <laughs> Also, I think it's the fact he's blonde. I think the fact he's blonde adds to it. <laughs> and he's got the youngest face. Also, uh, just to say, his name's Matt Smith. Uh, he does not have anywhere near exotic enough a name to play for Arsenal. I'm calling it now. So should we give him another name? <laughs> <laughs> Matteo smith Doozy. We'll call him uh, Matt Smithnan. <laughs> <laughs> Danish superstar. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was going to say, sorry, with the, whole, the point I brought him up is because even he can feel included under this manager. And I actually think one of my favourite images is the one you'd stick up in Hairland: Nelson, Nketiah, Willock, Maitland-Niles, Saka with the trophy. What a testament to our academy. And again, but now under the tutelage of this manager who's going to help them and can clearly use them as part of his squad is just is so exciting. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's probably uh, a really good point as well because our philosophy moving forward, okay, we're not going to be a club that has enormous financial backing, so we are going to be relying on our academy. So to have a picture like that at Hale End for all of the kids from all the age groups to look at on a daily basis is is absolutely incredible. It really is. Inspirational, inspirational. And that comes from comes from the manager. Obviously, we were going to talk about a couple other bits, but I think we'll leave those for next week just because we're a bit short on time and uh, both Andre and I would like to watch the playoff finals to see a, what perspective, pr- perspective away days we have next year. Can I ask you, can I just quickly ask you before we, we jump on, who's your preference? Uh, for... 
just different. So I'd, I'd say Brentford, but I, in terms of ticket access, both are going to be a nightmare, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think. I, I, and you know, we hope there'll be away days next season. Yeah, but we don't know um, that either. So <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't. Okay, interesting. Interesting. I, I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm. For me, it's win-win because uh, Russ, good friend, sports Fulham. I'd be delighted for him. But again, Brentford would be. I always like a new team, a new club in in the Premier League. Yes, and uh, one of my housemates from university is also a Fulham season ticket holder. So uh, it would be good to go and have a trip uh, up there and have a drink with him before a game. But again, it depends if we're allowed. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to move on to uh, the section of the podcast where we look at a specific Arsenal shirt from a year gone by. Uh, This week, we're going to be looking at the 2002-2003 away shirt, uh, which was a wonderful blue, meshy looking looking shirt that uh, for me is always synonymous with Thierry Henry. Uh, So again, like last week, we're going to pick three goals that we instantly think of. And this week, I'm going to get let Andre tell us about his first goal. Yeah. And the goal for me, which was circulated recently, uh, again, you are right, it evokes uh, strong on revives. This, this podcast is actually going to be bookend, bookended by a number 14. This whole thing's about a number 14, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, it's his West Ham strike. Uh, the You know, <sighs> Vieira plays it into him in midfield. Well, he's about 30 yards out. I think it's one of his... Do you think he means that touch? Maybe it's not his best touch, but it spins him away from, I think it's Christian Daly. It is Christian Daly. He takes a touch on his thigh and just thwacks it into that far corner. Uh, drew two all that day. I don't think we played particularly well. It's one of my favourite Henri goals because it was about his power. So much of what Henri did was about precision. But that is just pure power uh, and just a stunning strike to, to pull us back into a game. It's one of those goals as well that we were really struggling, like you're saying. We were 2-0 down and that's when you need your big players. You need your big players to produce something out of nothing sometimes. Uh, And that's what Thierry did so well. Uh, On so many occasions, he would produce that bit of magic that would get us back into a game. And I don't think there's many better examples of that. Of that, obviously, we went on to get the equaliser. Sylvain Wiltor scored the equaliser that day, and David Seaman also uh, saved a Freddie Canute penalty. But that was obviously a really important goal, and I love it. And it was very. It would have been on my list had it not been on your list because we we had a little bit a little bit of a conflab earlier to make sure we didn't have any overlapping. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So over to you. What's your first one? Okay, so my first one, the three that I've selected, I've tried to go a little bit unorthodox because I assumed you would you would pick maybe what, at least one of the more obvious ones. I've gone for three that are a little bit more unorthodox. So the first one I've gone for is Gilberto Silva versus PSV in the Champions League. Uh, it was the goal that he famously scored uh, after just 20 seconds of the Champions League game. Uh, away in Eindhoven. What I love about it is not so much the goal itself. Obviously, it was a brilliant assist by Thierry Henry, of course. Who else? Uh, it rolls it across the area and then Gilberto's got a fairly simple finish to, to put us 1-0 up. But what I love about it is that, for me, it epitomises everything that we used to be. We used to be a team that would start a game quickly and we'd try and have the game wrapped up as quickly as possible um, before half-time quite often. And that was one of the examples of just how quickly we could react and how alert opposition teams had to be when they were playing against us. For me as well, Gilberto is a player that I've always loved. And in my lifetime, I don't think I've seen a better defensive midfielder at Arsenal. Mm. Obviously, people will say about Emmanuel Petit before he left, but Gilberto was at Arsenal for a long enough time that he genuinely became an Arsenal legend. And I don't think it was until he was out injured during the 2004-2005 season that people really... Um, recognised how important he was to this Arsenal side. One of the most underrated players I think we we had, and it's only when you start to look back now uh, how fantastic he was. Just going back to the PSV game, we destroyed them that day. And then I'm, I'm wondering, I used to love when we used to go to, particularly in group stage games, and we'd tear teams apart. And that was our attitude in the Champions League. And it seems like a million miles away, as you said, 
I mean, to score, is that still the record? As the fastest Champions League goal? I don't think it is anymore. I don't think it is anymore. Um, another fun fact about that game is it was that game that prompted me to get this shirt with Pascal Seagan on the back. Would you care to explain why? So, very early in the game, Martin Keown went off injured and on came Pascal Seagan. I think it was, if it wasn't his debut, it was uh, one of his very early starts. And uh, not starts, sorry, one of his very early appearances. And when he came on, he played really, really well. And I thought, right, we've got the next carnation of Tony Adams. And on the back of that game alone, I decided, right, the away here, I'm going to get Seagan on the back. And not just Seagan on the back, I got number 18 on the shorts as well. That is fantastic to hear. So I do still have those shorts somewhere, but I, I do have the uh, Pascal Seagan shirt as well. And I, I suspect I'm one of very few supporters that have any shirts with Pascal Seagan on. I suspect you're <laughs> one of maybe, you know, two or three real prestigious stuff. An elite club. Absolutely. Okay, Andre, would you like to tell us about your second goal that you think of? I would, I would. Um, I've got two hat-tricks in, in, in here. Um, this one was, again, Champions League, um, was Roma away. And it's actually, I was torn here between uh, the Omri's first, the curler, because it was just, that is his, that is a, that was just his goal. Um, the hat-trick goal, I really love how he reacts to it, but it's the free kick. He scored a lot of free kicks this season. Uh, I think it was his most uh, productive season in terms of free kicks. If you go back and watch the season review, he scored a lot of them. But this one on that stage to pull us through against a team like Roma in the Olympico. Again, I also love that we wore our home shorts and socks. <laughs> Did you? I always love it when we wear a, mish, a real mismatch kit. Because it just seems like we're a pub team. We did that Barcelona away one year as well, where we wore yellow and then the home shorts. Yes, 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 absolutely. I think it was that that was ninety nine. Um, but this his hat trick is majestic. But that free kick, I love a great free kick. I miss having a great free kick taker like him. But it was the fact that I, you know on that stage to score that free kick. I think he scored another free kick away at Dortmund as well as part of that. Uh, so seeing that, again, that shirt, Henri, free kick v Roma, job done. He also scored a free kick uh, four days later that was pretty much identical against Aston Villa. Yes, in the league. Yes. Okay, fantastic. Uh, yeah, great memories, great memories. Okay, so my second goal that I'm going to talk about is from a, ga uh, from a game that was a couple days later after the PSV game. Um, and it was Leeds United away. And I'm going to kind of clump uh, two goals into one here because the goal I was going to pick was Carnu's uh, second goal in that game. But he did score twice in that game and I think both of them are noteworthy and, and, and worth discussing. So the first goal was, was all about the high pressing of uh, Ashley Cole down the left. Obviously we don't like him anymore but he was quite good at the time. <laughs> and he nicks the ball, gets it into Kylo Torre and Kylo Torre manages to cut it back and then Carnu just puts the ball into essentially an unguarded net. That again just summarises everything that that team was about. We made football look so, so simple, but it was so, so effective and so beautiful. So that goal we scored 100 times over in various competitions against various teams where we would just cut them apart and then just find a way of scoring a really easy goal. And that's what I love about that. And then the second goal that he scored uh, was actually an assist by Jermaine Pennant. He rolled the ball into the path of Carnu, and Carnu's just sort of prodded it into the far corner. And what I loved about that is that Carnu was a player who, if you look at him physically, he should not be good at football. He shouldn't be skillful. He shouldn't be able to move his body as quickly as he can. But somehow he would just make things look absolutely incredible. And there's very few players I've seen that are as talented with the ball at their feet in terms of dribbling past people, manipulating the ball. I remember a goal against Deportivo La Coruña where he, he didn't even touch the ball 
and managed to make the goalkeeper fall over. He's just uh, for, for me. He was a he was a really underrated player that we had throughout throughout his time at Arsenal, and he was not regularly a a definite starter, but he was certainly someone who would play a lot of games and was probably more prominent for his link up play than he was actually for scoring goals himself. But when he did score goals, invariably they were they were quite special. Fantastic player. Um, I loved Carnu. I loved Carnu. He was brilliant. And yes, you you found two great goals of him in this wonderful kit. That game also marked the uh when we scored to go one nil up, that was the forty-seventh consecutive league game that we scored in. Wow. It's just I I'm not sure what the final tally was for that record, but it's absolutely absurd to go that long <laughs> scoring in every single game. For sure, for sure. I actually want to I have always felt we played better football in 0203 than 03-04. 100%. I couldn't agree more. I think I think much like Liverpool last year probably played better football than they did this year. I think they refined what they were doing to ensure that they were more difficult to beat and that they were um a, a more effective team. And I think we did that during the invincible season is that we I don't think we were as concerned about going to try and hit teams for four or five. I think we were quite content once we got two, three nil up. Right, job done. We see the game out. We manage it properly. But in 0203, some of the football we played, particularly at the start of the season and then towards the end of the season as well, uh, some of the football was just out of this world. And I think the two games that I've spoken about, so PSV away when we won 4-0 and then 4-1 away at Leeds uh, on the Saturday, I think those two games kind of sum up the football we were playing at that time. And we would just go to any club and anywhere we went, you felt that we could put in a performance like that and score those sorts of goals. For sure. Do you know what? It brings me nicely onto goal three, actually, for me, because it was also in a 4-0 away win. So my, my third and final goal, actually, it's more around the game itself. So my final goal is Freddie's hat-trick goal against Sunderland, um, which was, of course, uh, the final game of the season and was the second game of our 49 unbeaten run. Um, Now, the reason I love this goal so much is if you watch it back and you see Henri in this game, he sets up three goals. He'd already scored one, uh, a, a great goal, but he then sets three up. Now, the reason that's significant is he finishes behind one goal behind Ruud van Nistelrooy for top scorer. And it's just sort of, it's just, he was the ultimate team player as well. Not only did it start the unbeaten run, not only did he give a hat-trick to, to, to one of our... He, when you watch the, a couple of the assists back, he could have shot, but he was selfless as well. He had the most unbelievable ability to be completely ruthless, yet selfless, which is why he has the joint assist record, clearly. But he was unplayable that day. And really, it's what it symbolised for that sort of run we were about to go on. 6-1 at home to Southampton, 4-0 away at Sunderland. It encapsulated how brilliantly we played that season at times uh, and set us on our way, really, more than anything. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's just so impressive that he scored 20, uh, plus 20 goals and also 20 assists that year. It's, It's unbelievable. And I'm not sure we'll see those sort of figures again from from a player for a long time. I know De Bruyne um, got 20 assists this year, but it's to to do both is, is genuinely staggering. It really is. It really is. So, what's the final one? Tom, finish us off. So, my final goal that I've selected is from a 2-0 victory in the FA Cup away at Old Trafford. And it is the second goal that was scored by Sylvain Wiltord. Uh, and now the reason why I bring this goal up is probably not so much for the goal itself because it's it's really, really poor defending by Manchester United. It's a nice little pass by Edu and I think it's uh, Wes Brown and uh, Mikel Silvestre in the middle of the Man United defence and they are hopelessly all over the place. But Wiltord then takes a touch, puts it in the corner nicely and we win the game 2-0. But the reason why I bring it up is because whenever anyone mentions Wiltord and Old Trafford, instantly everyone will think of the goal we scored the previous year when we won the title there. But this one I felt was very significant as well because obviously the the rivalry was massive. 
and it's still and it, it would be for another couple of years and any opportunity to get one over uh, the enemy it, w- it always went down well and that one particularly because we played I don't think on restarted that game for example our front two was Will Tord and Francis Jeffers <laughs> and this is when Wenger went through a spe- uh, was quite consistent with just trying to rotate squad players um for cup competitions but still making us really really competitive and Will Tord was obviously very, very important in that regard. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I want to, want to sort of lead that one because it's just all goals against Manchester United are special, all wins against Manchester United are special, and that was at the very height of our rivalry with... Fantastic choices. We did well this week, remembering to tell each other first. I was proud of us. We've really come a long way in one week. <laughs> We're basically professionals now. <laughs> yeah, Sure. Okay, that about wraps up another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or ask us to talk about anything else in particular, uh, you can get in contact with me on Twitter at TommyPD89. Uh, or you can get in contact with me, uh, which is Andre underscore Grayson. Andre, spelt A-N-D-R-E-I, close to our Sharvin. Uh This week, we've also launched uh, a Facebook page for our podcast, so... If you would like to go on over to that and give it a like or even a share would be fantastic. Thank you to everyone that has already. But you can find that by searching for The Boys in Red and White on Facebook. And finally, if you'd like some light reading material, then you can visit my blog, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.blogspot.com. So thank you very much for your time this week, Andre. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you, Mr. Dow. Uh, a celebratory podcast, which uh, we hoped it would be. A celebratory podcast, and we will return with another podcast next week. <laughs>